When you sat down in the uh, pew this morning and opened your bulletin and saw today's sermon title, Scorched Earth Gospel, uh, you may have been tempted to get up and walk out. <clears throat> when I read today's gospel text from Luke in the Revised Common Lectionary, I knew that if I didn't preach it and chose instead one of the other texts, the gospel text would still hang out there anyway. And then hearing the other texts, any of them would have hung out there today. And you'd be all, all be thinking about it, and you wouldn't hear anything I was going to say. So I decided today to take a run at the gospel and hit the wall head on. Thank you. Someone has to do it. It might as well be me. Some background. Today's text follows several words from Jesus about getting ready for the coming of the Son of Man, for the last act in God's big show, for judgment. Ellie reminded us last week that Jesus prefaces all this with words of assurance. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Your treasure isn't the stuff you have, but the hope you've been given in God's love and mercy. These things that are indestructible. Don't be anxious. Trust God. But then he follows with words that set off a fire alarm. Get dressed for action. Make sure you have fresh batteries in your flashlights because the master is coming back soon and you don't want to mess with him. Years ago, I worked for a stereo component company as the advertising director. <clears throat> the owner of the company had gone to Hawaii for a couple of weeks, leaving us to run the store. The sales manager was an old friend of mine from high school, Stuart Beasley. He was creative, and he was very funny. And we were sitting around one day between customers, and Stuart said with a smile, you know, we should have a boss is gone sale. Our ads could say, the boss is gone and we're going crazy here at Dimensional Sound. We're cutting prices on everything. Hurry in before he comes back. And then Stuart smiled and said, and when he comes back from Hawaii, we can have a boss's back sale. The boss is back, and boy, are we in trouble. We have to sell everything here at Dimensional Sound. And we laughed and laughed and laughed, and then a customer walked in. These verses from Luke are a, the boss is gone, and the boss is coming back, and boy, are we in trouble kind of text. If you knew what time the thief was going to break into your house, Jesus tells them, you would be ready. The Son of Man, he said, is going to come in through your back window. So get ready. Peter, uh, a bit nervous, asks Jesus, is, is this a warning just for us or is this for everyone? 
And Jesus' answer is not reassuring. He tells a story about a servant who finds out that his master isn't coming back for a while and says to himself, I can do whatever I want. The boss is gone. So he takes charge and he abuses the other servants and he eats and he drinks and he parties like the master is never coming home. But the master does come home and Jesus says, he cuts the servant to pieces. Now, whether that's meant literally or metaphorically, it's bad news for the bad servant. Remember, this is a cautionary tale, just a story to make a point. And what's the point? Like so many of the stories Jesus tells, it comes down to this. Our life does not belong to us. Let me say that again. Our life does not belong to us. It belongs to God. In another parable of Jesus, the parable of the rich fool, he is stupid not because he has lots of stuff. He's stupid because he believes that his stuff is his life and he believes that his life belongs to him. Two strikes, you're out. And in this parable, to those who have been given much, much is expected. The boss is back, and boy, are we in trouble. But as Ellie reminded us last week, the message is, don't be afraid, be ready. Live not in fear. Trust God. You already have everything. So if you lose everything, you have lost nothing. Think about that. It's all yours. You have nothing to lose. And it is God's good pleasure to look out for you. All this brings us to today's text the scorched earth gospel in verses 49 to 56. And I could see some of you squirming as the gospel text was read. Jesus says, I came to bring fire to the earth. He sounds like a Hebrew prophet. And those who heard him, no doubt, thought of the prophet Elijah, who we are told in 1 Kings 18, called down fire from heaven. Jesus also sounds like John the Baptist. Who warned you of the wrath to come? Jesus echoes John's warning. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing hook is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat in his granary. A winnowing hook separates 
the grain from the rest. It separates the grain from the chaff. And the chaff, Jesus says, he will burn with unquenchable fire. The gospel. In the years between the prophets and Jesus, all hell was breaking loose in the world, not unlike today. Israel had come back home from exile, was conquered by the Greeks, who humiliated them and desecrated their temple until the Maccabees kicked out the Greeks. And then came the Romans, more humiliation, more hell, uprisings, revolts, death, fire. And into such a world came John out of the desert. Into such a world, a world where the descendants of Abraham and Moses and David were begging for God to do something, hoping that God's chosen one would come and soon cleanse the earth with fire, vanquishing evil once and for all, cleansing the land of injustice, crushing the, the merciless while rescuing the merciful. Payback time. The boss is back. Finally, an answer to the question, how long, O Lord? How long? The, the psalmist had said, in a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be there. The wicked plot against the righteous. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy. But their swords shall enter their own hearts, and their bows shall be broken. Psalm 37. It doesn't seem that much has changed, does it? In Jesus' day, Palestine was a hotbed of expectations seething with rage. They didn't even have social media, and it was everywhere. There was a desperate longing that God would finally do something. When you see a cloud rising in the west, Jesus tells them, you say, it's going to rain, and it happens. And when a hot wind blows from the south, you know what's coming. Scorching heat. How then, he asks them, that you cannot see that the time has come, that it's here. And the word here is kairos, which is uh, the right time or the ripe time when a fruit is ready. The fullness of time, God's time that intersects our time. Look around you. You'll know something's coming. And that something is justice. In the midst of fire, we look for meaning. We look for hope. We look for a way through to the other side. Uh, J. Christian Becker, a Dutch theologian, was a prisoner of war in a Berlin hospital as the Allies bombed the city. And standing at a window, watching the city burn down around him, fire everywhere, he thought, there must be a God.
not a vindictive God of fire and death and destruction, but a God who can make sense out of all of this, a God who can bring hope out of fire and death and destruction, a God of resurrection. Hope does not come without pain. Hope does not come without desolation. But it is there that God finds us, and there is our ground of hope. Hope is the promise that we will come through it, the promise that we are not alone. Several years ago, wildfires uh, destroyed parts of Yellowstone Park. You'll remember that. And the devastation was heartbreaking. I drove through the park a few years later with my family and saw miles and miles of burnt forest, hills covered with charred tree trunks. Not much hope there. A once beautiful park, a lush landscape, devastated. But over the years, a remarkable thing happened. It turns out that the pine cones on those trees would only open and release their seeds in the intense heat of a forest fire. The fire that destroyed the trees was necessary for the seeds to germinate and a new forest to grow out of the ashes. Out of fire and death and ashes came resurrection. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. So goes the old hymn. God will bring us through every fire, no matter how painful, no matter how devastating. Human history is filled with fires kindled by us and not by God. The fires of war, the fires of genocide, the fires of racism, the fires of bigotry, and they are not cleansing fires. They are fires of our own making, and they are self-consuming. And in the midst of them, we look out the window with Christian Becker, and we say, there must be a God, or none of this will make any sense. And so we look for God. It is in such times, in the midst of the fire, that who we really are is revealed. It is in such times that we decide who it is we will follow. Do you think, Jesus asks, that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I say. Not peace, but division. And he says that some families will be torn apart. It's hard for us to hear this. Must it happen? No. Could it happen? Yes. 
It's a statement of fact, not inevitability. Following Jesus brings people together. Here we are this morning. But sometimes following Jesus breaks them apart. Over the century, the church itself has gone through many fires. The church was divided from the beginning. Just read the book of Acts. Some believe God's promise was just for a few. Peter and Paul argued that it was for everybody, Gentiles as well as Jews, for outsiders as well as insiders, for those who followed the rules and those who had never heard of the rules. Peter and Paul did not deny the division in the church, but instead they walked through these things dividing them trusting the Spirit to lead them with Christ at the center. Divisions become diversity in the book of Acts. They agreed to disagree about stuff that didn't matter, about stuff that wasn't essential, all the while agreeing on Christ. The story of the church throughout history is sadly more a story of division over religious dogma than diversity in Christ. But the spirit keeps breaking through. It breaks through all of the walls we build and it burns through them. When the spirit moved through the Roman Catholic Church and the Reformation, there was division. The covenant itself was born out of division. When the spirit moved in the pietist renewal through the Lutheran State Church of Sweden in the 19th century, and it divided families. And from this came a new church, the covenant, committed to unity and diversity committed to freedom in Christ. To be covenant, as I have mentioned to you, many of you before, the theologian Runar Eldebo has said, is to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, nothing added. I'll say that again. To be covenant is to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, nothing added. The question then is not whether there is division. The question is what we do with division. Are we willing to come through it together? Are we willing to come through the fire together? Ready to let the fire burn away all in us that is not the gospel of mercy and grace? We've seen this division recently in our denomination over the question of who the gospel is for. Is it for all or just for some? Is the gospel about rules or is the gospel at heart about mercy? Is it about winning an argument, about winning a vote, or living into the reckless grace and mercy of God? 
What has often happened when the church has divided is that it has cast aside, forgotten, and rejected for the sake of unity when it is in truth through these who are rejected that God is at work. God takes those who others reject and in them and through them reveals his love and mercy. Jesus, you will remember, was always getting into trouble with the religious people because of who he ate with, who he touched, and who he healed. Now, I told this story in a sermon at the Pietistan picnic a few years ago, but most of you weren't there, so I'll tell it again. When we lived in Connecticut, Marilyn planted a beautiful flower garden. I dug where she told me. She was the artist. And one summer, we were given seeds from Bill and Janet Safestrom. We were out here on vacation uh, from their garden in Woodenville. Sweet William, that was the flower. And we took them back to Connecticut and in the late winter placed the seeds in trays of potting soil and put them in the basement where it was warm under lights to sprout and to grow. But nothing came of them. Just a few measly, scraggly seedlings. They withered and died for the lack of will to live. So I took the trays out back and I dumped them all out in the tall grass and dirt under the deck and forgot about them. More than a year later, we were working in the garden and went out back to get some tools. And there, under the deck, in the tall grass, were sweet William plants with colorful blossoms. They were growing everywhere. We carefully dug them up and we transplanted them to the front garden and they were beautiful. The seeds that hadn't grown, seeds that were rejected and neglected, became among the most beautiful flowers in the garden. God works through division and rejection in spite of us. Sometimes that's how God works. Whatever the fire, wherever you find yourself, do not be afraid. Whatever the fire, whatever you are going through, you are not alone. God is working through it for something good, turning ashes to life, and taking those others have cast aside and making all things new. That's the scorched earth gospel. Thanks be to God. Amen.